Hello, Rock Bible Church. Hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. I'm trying to make sure I stay in the thing. Good morning to all those online joining us and everybody in person to serve in, but you'll hear more about that. Uh, I'm really excited to introduce our guest speaker today, Dr. Linda Burquest. Uh, there was something Colson actually prayed when he was up on stage, and I thought it was perfect. He said, you know, we're one church. And this week, I've really seen how when the body comes together, right, we are one church. There's many different places that we can go to worship, but we serve one God. And I'm really excited to hear what Linda has to share with us. So thank you for being here. Can we give her a big RBC welcome? Awesome. I'm sorry, I've got bad knees. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Really, really good to be here. Let me pray first as we start. Father, I thank you for this church. Thank you for the almost 12 years now that it served this community. I pray that it will continue being a blessing to this community and the community would be a blessing to this church. Uh, thank you, Father, for everyone who's here in person, everyone who, who is joining us online. And I pray, Father, that... Um, you would help us all to grow today in ways that are pleasing to you. Father, I pray that if there's um, anyone here who needs to hear um, part of my story, um, and you can use it in their lives, that you really would, and they'd be open to that today. I pray, Father, for Scott as he um, and for Julie as they take their daughter to school and to college and release her to not be living with them anymore. And I pray, Father, that that would be a blessing to them and not super, super difficult because I've been through that myself and I know what it's like. So thank you for them and thank you that she's made it to this place where she's in a really good school. And I hope, Father, that she can serve there and that school will serve her well. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so um, when Scott asked me if I could... Uh, come today and teach, the thing that he said to me was, um, he said, I want people to get to know you. And I feel like, in a way, I don't know every one of you, but I've been here a part of the way, and if you were there in the very beginning, um, I met you in the beginning, because uh, I came here sometimes in um, 2010 as you were getting started. And um, watched Scott minister watched the this um, the church where it was merge into this church and felt like it was a wonderful gift from God and that you all treated it well you didn't uh, I've seen churches that merge with other churches and then they they're not very nice to the existing church and and I feel like as a matter of fact I actually send other people in that situation to Scott to learn from him how to love on people in the way he did when this merger happened so Anyhow, um, so what I want to share with you today is my own church planning journey. And I guess, what do I push here? The right one? Okay. All right, thanks. I don't see anything. Is it up there? I can't see. Okay. Can you put it on there, too, so I know what it is that I've got up, up in, on here? Is that possible? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, let's make sure it's closed. Okay. Okay. I'll just keep on looking. Yeah. Can you see it? I got you. Or we can just move this over a little bit this way. Okay. Okay, and then I just turn back here and see. We're just saying, so so if you can glance up okay, there, that's good. Yeah. Okay. You good. All right. Um, so I was born in, on Long Island, New York, and uh, lived there um, until I was in high school, and um, came from an immigrant family. My father was from Norway. Came here as a teenager. My mother's father was Spanish, and her mother was Jewish. And my family didn't talk a lot about our immigrant status until I got to be in high school because uh, they were so proud to be Americans. Um, but I loved the fact when I found out that we had all this background. I loved it. I just used to wonder why on Christmas we used to have these heart-shaped cold waffles with sardines and boiled eggs. <laughs> I thought that was pretty Norwegian kind of a trait. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm too far on it. Okay. All right. Um, we also attended a mainline Christian denomination when I was young. And I remember when I was like in about third grade, there was this poster contest for the state of, of um, New York. And, um, and I actually won second prize for that. It was a um, it was about ministering in Africa, and I actually just had a real admiration for a man named Albert Schweitzer, who was a missionary doctor in Africa. And I used to play missionary doctor with my friends. Only I had to be the leper because they didn't, you know, they were ministering to. I couldn't. They wanted to be the doctor and wouldn't want to be the leper at all. So I had to be the leper, and um, um, I used to play that all the time. And for my eleventh birthday, my parents gave me a book about Albert Schweitzer. In the front of the book, they inscribed it to our future lady missionary, and little did they know. I've never even been to Africa yet, but our daughter has, at least. Um, then in ninth grade, our family moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. So, no, that didn't do it. I think you don't do the middle, do the two sides. Right? Okay, that's what I just did. It's back where? Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll just keep on talking. So um, anyhow, in North Carolina, we didn't have the same diversity of people groups that we did from New York, especially when I used to go into the city and to visit things. We had people from all over the world there. In North Carolina, we didn't have that. It was mostly black and white, and it was during the Civil Rights era. and. Um, when I was in high school was um, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, and a little bit earlier than that, JFK and, and, and civil rights issues around that as well. And um, um, it, was a, it was a hard time. And um, I remember being in church one day and the pastor saying something, and I won't repeat it because it's painful, I remember him saying something that completely turned me off. It felt so racist, and I... Um, I walked out of church that day and decided I would never go back to church. And during the following years, even though I had been raised as a Christian, not as, not as a, um, 
I've been raised in mainline Christianity, didn't know anything about a personal relationship with God. But um, even though I was raised that way, I turned away from it, and I became an atheist, and I became an, a Marxist, a communist, um, mostly because I believed that there was a statement in it that said, from each according to ability, and to each according to need. And I really went with that, and I read books like um, Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged and stuff like that, that kind of converted where I was going. And I was involved in a lot of kind of um, um, pretty rotten stuff when I look back today, actually, when we sang that song that he picked me up and turned me around and placed my feet on solid ground, I realized that big thump on, on solid ground, how much that meant to me. Anyhow, then later on, I moved, uh, while I was still an atheist, I moved to San Diego, and it was um, being in California allowed me the freedom that North Carolina had not allowed me to have to actually be myself, be a rebel, go to um, different marches and protests and be involved like that. So I'm like an old hippie. So, okay. Um, let me see. So the things started happening to my atheist world. There started to be things that I didn't know how to explain. Um, just things that felt like a mystery that happened. And I began questioning, like, how do I know for sure that atheism is correct? And I began reading things, not the Bible yet, but began reading things about Christianity, thinking about it, um, talking to the four walls, which I didn't know I was talking to God back then, but he was hearing me all that time. I began doing that. And in 1980, I enrolled in a class um, um, in the junior college that um, I attended called um, Science and Religion. And my, my um, professor there um, was a solid Christian. One of the things he invited us to do, he said, for, for credit, want you all to go visit, extra credit, go visit three different worship places. And one of them that I visited was his church because he told me that um, the person who led it, the pastor, was smart and the people were good. And um, and I, you know, wanted to be in a church like that. So I went into that church, and I saw a woman across the room, and I sat next to her, and it turned out to be my professor's wife. Another thing I didn't know how to explain. And then um, somebody accepted Christ that day, and everybody went up forward. So I went up there too to shake his hand, congratulate him, gave him my phone number, and and I said, "Call me. Tell me what happened in your life." And so he did. And a few days later, the pastor came to my house to visit me and talk about and tell me to, to kind of start reading the New Testament. And I did have a Bible, so I was able to read it. Well, in the, in the, in the middle of that, one day I just um, was talking uh, to God and I fell on my knees and I just said, okay, God, you have it your way with my life. And I was crying. And when I got up, I felt like I was a whole different person. Um, that I knew that God had changed me. There was no doubt that I had been changed that day. And um, where I used to like really dislike the Christians around me at my job, I started just loving the Christians and, and um, taking them into my lives as friends. Um, one week later, I was on my first missions trip. I didn't know it was a missions trip back then, but I had seen an advertisement about a um, um, some work with people who were um, alcoholic and diabetic on an Apache reservation in Arizona. And I was, since I worked in a hospital, I just thought I could go volunteer there. And I just felt like there was this push that I was supposed to go to this reservation. 
So I went to work and I told the person following me um, on my shift change, I said, you know, I'm going to go to this reservation and work in this hospital in Arizona. And she said, oh, she said, I'll help you. My husband is best friends with the chief medical director of that hospital. So another another sense was God was making himself clear. So I got um, myself, um, this was again, so I became a Christian on February 8th. So a week later, I went to this reservation, stayed there for a couple weeks, and they invited me to come back in the summer. And I took that seriously. So I went back that summer and the, the pastor was praying, um, and th- one of the prayers that, that he said uh, when I was walking in the room was he said, we pray that we will be able to start a new church in an area of the reservation where there is no church. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, I don't really understand very much about this. You guys have a whole bunch of Bibles in Apache here, and you have paper and pencil, and you have a lot of people who don't have jobs what else do you need to start a church? Isn't that enough to start a church? And he got a little bit um, angry at me that I he thought I was being, <laughs> and he kind of banished me. But the next day, his wife came and found me, and she said, "We're starting next week, and you're in charge." <laughs> so um, I am the oldest child of two oldest children, and um, when people tell me to do things, I figure out how to do it. So I accepted that challenge, and we started a church that summer. And that was my um, first mission trip. Um, it was the Southern Baptist Church, by the way, and they, they invited me to return the following summer again. Um, then I came back and was at my church, and the first Sunday I was back, oh, let me tell you another story about, about the reservation. So one day the, the um, associate pastor, Bradley Ethelbaugh, was leaving the trailer where he was living behind the church, and his face was all shiny and beautiful. And I said, what happened to your face? I mean, you look like something amazing just happened to you. And he, he said, it, it did. I was reading the Bible. I said, what were you reading? He says, reading Philippians 2, 9, for 11, 9 through 11. So um, basically the, the idea that, that um, Jesus, uh, someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And he began describing what that looked like when he was meditating on it. He said it was this... He said he was in heaven and that there were all these, you know, hundreds of thousands of people there and Jesus was walking through the crowd. And as he walked through it, these people who represented every nation, every tribe, every language were all bowing before him and they were worshiping him together. And when Bradley talked about that, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I ever heard in my life and I decided that I want the rest of my life to be about, be dedicated to that. And, it, and it's interesting that it, it kind of felt like my childhood that God had his hand on the vision of my life from the time I was very small and, and never left that behind, despite the fact that I did some things that were totally against him. So then um, when I returned that summer um, um, from the reservation, there was a, um, we had a missionary guest, and he was preaching. And um, um, he was praying that they'd be able to start a new church out of my church um, as well. Let me go to the next page. I found myself wanting to use the up and down button, not the side to side button. So anyhow, sorry about that. Anyhow, he was a missionary speaker from Africa. And he shared Isaiah 6, 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, 
here my Lord send me. And when I heard that, um, it was really challenging to me. I just thought that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't think I could do it because of all the the bad stuff that I had done in my life, all the negative things I had done. I had this this past that would keep me from from having this future of being on mission with God with all of my life. And so I went and talked to my pastor and told him that I wanted to go into ministry full time. Um, So he advised me to go to seminary. I personally don't think that everybody who wants to go into full-time ministry has to go to seminary, but it was a good step for me, especially being a pretty new Christian and not knowing the Bible very well and all that kind of stuff. So he advised me for seminary, and I needed to have a bachelor's degree, and I was only partially through with my bachelor's degree, to do, and so I hurried up and finished that. And as, as I got ready to enter seminary, I asked him where I should go to church. I said, I want to go to a church where I can still grow as a Christian because I'm still pretty new, still only about two years old now as a Christian. Um, but I also want to be going to a place where um, I can serve. And what, what can I do? And he said, well, there's this church close to the seminary that actually was starting house churches, a whole network of house churches. And he suggested on Sunday mornings I could help in their house church work and that on um, s- Sunday evening I could go to, used to be every church did Sunday evening church. Does some of you remember that? And so he said, you can go on Sunday evening and Wednesdays, and you can learn and grow. So I did. I went to that church and um, helped to start a house church, Sunrise Baptist Fellowship House Church. And um, the person who led it was um, a man who actually became a missionary in Africa and just recently returned. He was with the International Mission Board, the IMB, the Southern Baptist Convention, and he did go to Africa. But one day I was going around knocking on doors and inviting people to come to church, and I met, met a Cambodian family. And it was in the early 80s that the Cambodians were coming into the United States as refugees. And I met this Cambodian family, and he invited me in. And he said, um, anyhow, this man invited me to meet his family, but he didn't tell me he was a Christian. I just stayed there. Remember, it was around Thanksgiving, and I told him the story of the pilgrims coming to America and the refugee story that they had had a lot of similarities with that, so we talked about that. The next day I visited a different church for some reason, I don't remember why, I just wanted to go and visit another church. And um, um, anyhow, when I got there, there's this Cambodian family that I had met and about 50 other Cambodians that were there at the church. And I went up and I talked to him, remember me, I came to your house and we talked and blah, blah, blah. And the pastor saw me talking to them, and he came up to me, and he said, do you know these people? I said, yeah, I just, just met them, but I do know this man here and his family. He said, well, they want to start a church here, and, and they want to use our building. He said, he said, he said, who are you? And I said, I'm a seminary student, and I've been doing church starting. And he said, well, we'd like you to help. And he said, would, would you like, you know, make it your job to help them get a church started here in this place? And so... Um, they did, and we did. We got a, a church started in that building. So let me see. Anyhow, still in seminary when we're doing this, and I wrote a paper about what I would do when I graduated from seminary, um, what I would do if I were doing church planting, because this was a church planting class. And um, and I said, um, uh, I'm going to send this over to my pastor in San Diego, the church where I became a Christian, and I did. And that is, did anybody know Sam Williams? 
he lived up here for a while. He worked at, at what was used to be Golden Gate Seminary, now Gateway, and he taught classes there. And um, anyhow, he actually, when I re- he read my paper, he said, well, come, I would want to invite you to come back to San Diego and be on staff with our church and be a church planning missionary with us at our church. And um, uh, God was at work. Um, that ver- Bible verse that reminds me of being confident, Philippians 1, um, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a, a good thing in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That God started me there at that church, gave me um, the opportunity to learn and grow and everything, and then um, brought me back to San Diego to get involved. Okay. So there was a woman at the Cambodian church we started in Texas um, who um, had five children she was raising by herself. The Khmer Rouge had killed her husband and actually eaten him in front of the children as well. Really, it was a horrible, horrible time uh, for the Cambodian refugees. And um, she told me, she said, you know, there are a lot of Cambodians in San Diego and you should start a Cambodian church And uh, when you go there. And she said, I will send my daughter with you. So she had this teenage, like 17-year-old daughter. Um, and she sent her daughter uh, with me to San Diego to plant a church, and it worked. Um, we planted it, and this is, by now it was like 1985 that I had gone to seminary and been there the first year. And we needed a pastor. So when I say I, pl- I help plant a church, I do a lot of the, the, the work that it takes to find somebody to lead it. I'm not a pastor. I'm, my my um, Ephesians 4 gift is I'm more, more apostolic. I help start things. And that's all I mean by that word. It's one, one of the ways it's used. I help start things. And um, oftentimes people who are apostolic are not particularly pastoral at all. And I didn't feel like I was the one that long-term was going to lead it. So I was looking around for a pastor and found uh, somebody named David Agron um, whose picture I put here, and David Agron was a, um, he was Jewish Christian, and um, he spoke, he taught himself how to speak Cambodian because he could see the need, the new Cambodians that were coming around, um, and there were a lot in Fort Worth then. And then there's a man named Dareth Hay who became the, um, the next leader of that church. Well, when David came out, though, there was this man named Eric Berquist who helped him move. And I met Eric, and Eric was an artist. And I thought, this was the early days of church advertising. And I thought, you know, the church starting that we're doing in San Diego, we could use an artist. And there was an opportunity to recruit somebody for a summer job with pay, not very much pay, but with pay. And so I called him up and asked him to think about when he graduated in 1987 by now, if he graduated from seminary if he would come out and be with us for the summer and help us do the work it took to like make logo designs make invitations even like we you probably like offering envelopes um, communication cards welcome cards those kind of things that he could help us do all that and he did and um, for around 10 years we planted all kinds of churches all around San Diego County one or two or three a year um, with that church and it was pretty amazing so I don't know, did I show you Eric yet? I did, okay. And then, let me see. 
After around 10 years, the pastor moved up here to be involved in a new church and to teach in seminary. And he saw there was a potential job offering with what was used to be called the Home Mission Board, is now called the North American Mission Board, or NAM. And he saw there was an offering, and he pushed for me to get that job. It wasn't a job that was in general open to women, um, but he said, well, she's the best qualified because look at all the different um, churches that she's been involved in planting, and he pushed for me. He was always my advocate, and even to this day, I've seen him recently, and uh, he's like my life pastor. Maybe some of you have a life pastor, too. Maybe Scott is that for you. Um, Anyhow, um, the job was to be a church planting catalyst, and they offered it to me, and we moved to San Francisco on Labor Day weekend, 1996, so a lot of years ago. My job was to start churches among people like myself who spoke English and looked like me, they were Caucasian. And that was all they had me do back in that day. But just because of where my heart was, I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to stay there. But now a few years ago, the doors were open and I was given the opportunity to work with all kinds of groups, all kinds of languages. And currently, I'm engaged in planting churches with people from 16 different ethno-linguistic groups. And I've listed them there. I'm not going to go through them again, but a lot of different ones. Um, to the right, you see um, Pastor Yuna and his family. Have you guys heard of Pastor Yuna yet? You know about him? Not yet? Okay. So Pastor Yuna is from Iran. And who, when he was in Iran, He helped plant a house church network, and then he planted a church in Dubai as well. He works for BART, an extremely smart man. He does, what is his job, Eric? Some kind of engineering kind of job that he does, and that's his his wife and his children there. Anyhow, he um, was leading a fellowship that met at North Creek Church in Walnut Creek. Some of you know that church, it's a pretty big church and they allowed him to meet there, but they were not helping him to become a pastor and not helping the church to become, a, the group to become a church. And so I don't know how he got my name, but somebody gave him my name and we reached out to him. And um, um, they're now a church with a, a EIN and a in the process of getting a, um, a 501c3 paper. And this church actually is helping them through Pastor Scott so I think you'll meet him someday. As a matter of fact, he's asked Scott to license him for ministry at his church sometime soon. And I think Scott's going to um, invite some of you to go as well. So anyhow, right now, what's happening? Do you guys know Brooke Maturo? She helps you with paperwork and everything at the church, does your books. Yeah, and she's helping him to do some things as well. We were able to apply for a grant uh, for him to do some outreach and everything. So there's about 40 people. And uh, one of the women that we met there, who was a translator for us when we were sitting there, is the um, Persian language is Farsi. So this is Walnut Creek Persian Church. And um, um, there's a woman who was actually reaching out to, where is it, Eric? Is it Albania or Lithuania? Assyrians. Okay, you sure? Okay, anyhow, doesn't matter. That's as well as I know it. Anyhow, she's reaching out to that group as well. Um, I don't know if you guys know it or not, but you also have been helping a man named Mojik Baldendorsh. Do you know him? He's Mongolian. And he is um, in Mongolia right now on a mission trip, took some people from his church, 
He teaches a seminary class online for about 80 different Mongolians. And he's got, a, he's got one church in Lafayette that he leads, and then he started one in Daly City uh, that he's um, also trying to get off the ground. So you guys are helping with a couple of these new churches in ways that you don't. Scott is praying for them, mentoring the, the leaders. And financially, there's not... Um, there's just not, that's not, not going on. I forgot how I how did I leave there. I left it. Okay, but anyhow, um, you guys are pretty engaged in that. So I thought I would kind of transition from my story now to talk about um, part of the Bay Area. I've done what I'm going to show you is only a piece of a presentation I've done recently for the entire Bay Area. So here's how many people, since you're reaching Iranians, uh, over 6,000 Iranians, people from Afghanistan. And if, I don't know if you've noticed it, but a lot more Afghan people are moving into the East Bay now as well, especially Concord. And we do have an Afghan church, a man who um, himself is Afghan and became a Christian partly through a dream in Afghanistan. He was working for the U.S. military as a translator, and then he... Um, 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 he actually was put in prison because he was giving out Bibles and his wife was taken from him by his family, by her family, and divorced because of her interest in, in faith in Christ as well. So um, he escaped here. It was you know, just really um, a blessing for him to escape to the United States and to be um, um, uh, to start a church here. So he just gave away, I think, about 2,000 backpacks that he had a team come up and stuff for him um, to give away and knock on doors. And he actually also has tracks in other languages and CDs as a Jesus film in other languages. So he, when he goes to apartments that he thinks are Afghan, if he meets other people, he can reach out to them too. So um, his, his name is Mike Zaze, and he is now uh, remarried to a, white, a woman who had been a, um, a missionary in Afghanistan with another organization. So that was pretty cool to see that as well for him to happen. So um, these are some of the people groups. You also have areas in the Bay Area that need churches just because they're growing so much. So Dublin has been growing like crazy. You know that, right? So we could use a new English-speaking church that maybe attracted like, all kinds of people. One of the groups we have in the Bay Area that we have a lot of are people from India who are here. And one of the reasons is all the high-tech jobs that are here. And there's something called an H-1B visa worker. It's a special visa for high-tech um, people who are very educated. And about three-fourths of the H-1B visa workers are from India. The other quarter are from China. And they come in with these special visas to, to help in here. And Pleasanton is number 41 in the whole United States. So you think about in terms of size, you're not that all big. But you're number 41 in the whole United States for H-1B visa workers. And most of the um, Indian peoples that are here actually speak um, English. Does anybody work at a company that actually has some H-1B visa workers from India that you notice? And nobody here? Well, be on the lookout. Uh, and you, the, your, the food lines are going to be Indian food lines in the cafeteria and things like that as well. But a lot of Indians actually... Um, um, a lot of Indians actually um, 
will speak English well enough that they can attend your church. Some of the churches in the Bay Area do have a number of Indians who are attending their churches and, and volunteering at their churches. So what can you do? What can your church do? What can you as an individual do? What can your church do? First is pray without ceasing. So for me, all those numbers that I collect, I can't tell you how many um, numbers I have you know, in this computer, how many people groups and everything. Right now I'm collecting, um, there's a, a man who's the um, diaspora coordinator, meaning just people from different places who go different places. He's a diaspora coordinator for the Lausanne um, peoples. And he's collecting, he's from India, and he's collecting information from all over the U.S. of where Indian people live and work. And I've been helping him with that right now. But um, what happens for me is I, as I collect the data is that I pray. You know, you, when you see data, and it's overwhelming. Like you see, like there's almost 300,000 people from India in the San Francisco Bay Area in general. And, and you know, and I've got even what languages they speak. The Census Bureau collects about 10 different language, Indian languages. So we know what parts of India they're from, what tribal groups they're from um, um, because of that background and that information. So adopt a new church, um, such as Walnut Creek Persian Church here. Um, share your own faith across cultures. Get to know people. Don't be afraid to reach out to people across cultures. Go to that, um, you know, when, it, when it's a, like a holiday or something, go to a, um, like a market or something, like a market. In, I remember one time being in a market in Concord, and it was during, the, um, during a Muslim holiday, and it was a uh, it was an Afghan store, and they actually invited us when I when I said um, happy you know just happy holiday to them. They invited me to um, come to their house and celebrate with them the next day. We were not able to go, but still, they were so w- willing to you know or let them know you're praying for you. You you go to re- an Afghan restaurant. There's a website called zabiha.com, and it's a, actually a Muslim website, and there. Are almost a quarter million Muslims in the Bay Area from different backgrounds, too. Anyhow, um, you go and you can find out what is the halal food, Muslim food, in d- different parts of, of your county or, or beyond. And you say you went to an Afghan restaurant that you found on the, on the Zabiha website, and um, you check it out, and um, you know there's problems going on in, in Afghanistan or whatever. And to be able to let them know you're praying, or even pray with them. Let me pray for your people. Do you still have family in Afghanistan? Let me pray for them right now. So, um, so definitely, um, prayer, sharing your faith across cultures, and then practice missional love languages. So, do you guys know who Gary Chapman is? Who wrote the book The Five Love Languages, and the love languages, and he calls them like I think that there's um, uh, touch and um, gifts, and um, what, what is it? Quality time, service, and what? Words, you said? Words of affirmation, exactly. And to take those five love languages and add one, I, I add food to that. I think it's a love language, too. <laughs> and to share those love languages across cultures of people. So you know what to give as a gift and what not to give. You know as a, as a woman you shouldn't touch 
and or hug a Muslim man or even shake his hand unless he reaches his hand out first, things like that. Meeting immediate needs like uh, furniture for new refugees, um, school supplies, backpacks, um, and things like that. Christmas gifts and outreaches. Our garage has just stacks and stacks, a huge space right now filled up with Christmas gifts waiting to, to wrap for um, different churches that are reaching out to people who are um, refugees and new immigrants that have need. Um, collect and give away Bibles or tracts in different languages. Give assistance with English learning, with resumes, etc. So one of the things I've dreamed about for several years and have never actually taken the time to do is, you know how sometimes like at Home Depot there'll be some people who are Spanish speakers standing outside and they want a job. And I've thought, what if I actually stopped and helped them create a resume and went back and printed out, gave it to them, so they had a resume about their skills that they could share and they'd be better at doing the job. They probably need more than just me to do that. Um, the Afghan church has some online classes for teenagers, and there's a Korean man who started a church in um, South Bay a couple of years ago, and he's given some computers away and some tutors that he's trained, teenage tutors that are helping the new Afghan students, um, etc. So lots and lots of ways that we can help and don't imagine helping um, with, with people that from every country, every background, because someday it will happen that every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. And wouldn't this be a great thing? This is a great place to get some of that going, isn't it? Thank you for your church for helping the, uh, the leaders in the, the new churches, the Mongolian church and the Persian church. We really appreciate that from you. Thank you very much. Okay, okay good. Um, so we heard some exciting news. We are sponsoring um, a new church, and Scott, I just learned that Scott's assisting another one, which doesn't surprise me. But um, there's a lot that goes on at Rock Bible Church that it's hard to know all the details and the different ways that we're involved in. Um, I'm going to take a second to just pray for Linda and Eric as they continue to do just the ministry that they're doing, and extremely thankful that you guys are part of our Rock Bible family. Uh, and that we get to be a part of one church. Um, that's Rock Bible. We we are a part of the church, and we want to serve different people and be a part of that, um, just like we want to serve each of you that are in our community. So um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, just thank you for being here. Yeah, do you want to come up? Do it. All right. Awesome. Um, dear God, thank you so much for just the work and um, the family of Linda and Eric and just the way that you've used them and their giftings and talents to just not only bless our community and our church right here, but the, the greater community. And um, the way that you have led them, continue to open the doors, uh, give them helping hands along the way, and just pray that you continue to drive that passion and that they never tire of doing what is good and what honors you. So thank you for just what they mean to Rock Bible Church, what they mean to Scott and our church family and Pray for perseverance, endurance, and most of all, just the peace as they continue to walk in your way. So we love you and need you. Amen.